I'd love you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. It's on page 1023. Mark 15. And this is, this is it. This is what Mark has been building to. This is, the mom- this is the moment in Mark's gospel. If you are here today and you're not usually here, you have come on the right Sunday. This is the best Sunday you could have chosen uh, to come because this is the moment when actually we see what Mark has been, the whole of the gospel of Mark has been building up to. So we're going to read um, from verse 33 of Mark chapter 15. And we're going to look in detail at this moment when Jesus died, when his life was, when when he breathed his last. Let's read from verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Those are powerful words. Even just reading them, they are powerful words. And I want us to try and get under the skin of what's really happening here to see what what is it that makes this so powerful. And there's a word, okay? It's not a word that appears in this passage, but it is a word that I I want you to feel the weight of this word this afternoon. This is what I've been praying. This is what I've been kind of really wrestling with this week as I've looked at this. And it's the word never. I want you to know something. I, I want to show you something this afternoon. And it's based on this word never. That is a emphatic word. It's not a wishy-washy word, is it, the word never? It doesn't leave room for kind of wiggle. It doesn't leave room for doubt. The word never means never. It's a black and white word. It's a word that is not misunderstood. And I want you to listen to these words that God says in Hebrews. He says this to you. Listen to this. God says, never Will I leave you? Never will I forsake you. I want you to feel this afternoon the weight of that word never. When God says he will never forsake you, I want you to understand why God says that. How is it that God is able to say never will I leave you? Never will I forsake you. How is it that God can say that? Is that just a nice thing? Is that just a nice phrase that we go, oh, that's nice. It makes me feel nice. No, there's so much more to it. I want to show you this afternoon how much it cost God to say, never will I leave you to you. 
I want you to leave this afternoon knowing that God will never forsake you. That would be a pretty good use of the next half an hour, don't you think? Imagine someone, let's call her Katie. Katie's come to church and she feels really pretty disturbed. She's, she's a Christian. She's been a Christian for a long time, but she, she's, she's just struggling. And particularly by the events that have happened in London in the past week, she just feels rocked by it. She feels rocked by the suffering that she sees around her. And added to that, Katie has also experienced real pain in her life, real darkness, deeply painful things in her past, things that have been done to her that make her feel deeply distressed sometimes. And sometimes even to the point where she begins to think, I wonder if God is even there. I wonder if God even cares. Does God even know? I feel like I've been abandoned by God. This is crucial for Katie. Or what about Bill? Bill had come to church. His problem is slightly different. His, His struggle is not so much with the circumstances and the things around her. Bill actually looks within his own heart and he sees the mess inside him. He's had a rotten week. He feels utterly worthless. He feels like a complete failure as he comes to church. He feels like a fraud. He feels like he shouldn't be here. He looks at everybody else and thinks, well, all these other people are so good. I feel so dirty. He feels like he has no right to lift his eyes to God. He feels like he has no right to sing. Katie is struggling with the brokenness she sees in the world. Bill is struggling with the brokenness he sees inside himself. And I want to say, Katie, if you're here this afternoon, this is good news. Bill, if you're here this afternoon, this is good news. This is how you can know in a broken world full of broken people that God will not forsake you. Because of what happened in these three hours that we just read about in Mark 15. And therefore, I am going to push us a bit this afternoon. Because it really matters. There's so much resting on this. I'm going to push us to really think about what's happening in these three hours. That moment when the sky went dark, when Jesus cried out, when the curtain was torn, and when the centurion said, Surely this man is the Son of God. What was going on then? Because if we can understand that, That's the key to being able to say, understand that God will never leave you and never forsake you. And in particular, we need to get to know the character of God. You know, um, on Tuesday this week, I was involved in a debate at King's College. A couple of you were there. Um, And it was a debate with other, uh, six other faith societies from King's College. And the question was, uh, do all religions lead to God? And uh, the, the debate was going on. The thing that struck me, and a lot of things struck me actually, it was a very interesting um, thing. Um, The thing that really struck me was that all the conversation was about humanity. It was all about us. Well, we got, you know, we just need to be compassionate. We need to be sincere. You follow whatever you believe. You decide. You choose whatever you want. You go whatever way you want. You do whatever you want. And it's all about humanity. I'm sitting there going, but what about God? What about the God who made us? 
What about the God in whose image, whose image we bear? What about the God who loves us? Does he not even get a say? Now I decide. And so this afternoon, we need to get our eyes on God. And there's so much nonsense and pants rubbish spoken about God. There's so much that's just empty, shallow nothingness. So let's have a look. And we're going to tackle it from one verse. And this is it's a slightly random uh, left field verse from the Old Testament. But I think you'll see why. Just this one verse helps us to then unpack what's happening in Mark 15. At least that's what I hope will, will help us this afternoon. So let me put um, some words. These are some words um, from Deuteronomy 31. And I've been reflecting on these words this week in the light of Mark 15. And trying to think, what does it show us about the character of God? So we can do a bit of work on who God is and his character before we then come to apply it to Mark 15 and see then how it uh, shows us that God will never forsake us. So here are the words. Um, sorry if they're a bit small. God says this. Uh, he, he's, he's talking to his people and he says, when my people turn away from me, when, when people are wicked, when they pursue other gods instead of me, he says, and in that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Okay, that's, that, that's from the word of God. That is God's voice. That is what God says about himself. We, we're not in a position to say, oh, I don't really like that. The guy who was on the, this debate, who was from the Jewish society, the first thing he told me was, oh, I'm an atheist. I don't even believe in God. And I find myself thinking, Really? And he says, yeah, in the Old Testament, it's, it's, you know, it was okay for them, but it's all changed. And I'm saying, I'm more Jewish than you are. I believe in the Old Testament more than you do. And we do. I, so let's, let's look at what God says about himself. Uh, there's four things here. Let me just put them up. It's not difficult. It's just reading the verse. It says, God becomes angry. They are forsaken. God's hides his face and they are destroyed. That's what God says about himself. God becomes angry. I wonder how you feel about that. God says, I will become angry. For many people, the idea of God being angry is a bit uncomfortable. In fact, the idea of God being angry is something we want to airbrush out. Don't ask me why, but I was reading an article this week on the BBC website about Meghan Markle. And so this is a completely irrelevant illustration. It doesn't really help anything other than the fact that I'm dropping in a name who's modern and culturally relevant. So... Uh, <laughs> I can't even remember her name. Megan. Megan Markle. She said she gets really annoyed. Wait for this. This is deep. She gets really annoyed when people airbrush out her freckles. It's deep. And I read that and I thought, it's interesting. <laughs> I've lost it now. Uh, I thought it's interesting because actually that's what we do with God. We airbrush out the freckles, the, the blemishes, the things that we don't think are very suitable and we say, I'd like to smooth God out. I'd like him to be a little bit more attractive. And we're in danger of doing that. And we think that being angry, the idea of God being angry, it is unworthy for God. And so we try and find ways to airbrush it. Try and find ways to make it okay. Um, many of you will have come across a book called The Shack uh, by a guy called William Young. It's just about to be released as a, as a, um, a movie, as a film. Um, the guy who wrote The Shack 
airbrushes out the wrath of God. He, and um, that's what he says. Listen to what he says. Um, and, and I want you to listen carefully to what, what he does. Um, I'm going to read you a bit and see if you can listen. My friend Wayne Jacobson has a book called He Loves Me. This is from an interview with William Young. In it, he uses the illustration of being a child running into a hornet's nest and screaming, running in the direction of his mother and seeing her coming at him with this look of rage. She wasn't after him. She was after those hornets. How dare they touch her precious little child? But if you look at her face, you'd think he had done something wrong. Do you get the illustration? So the, the hornets are attacking the child. Ah, help, help, help. The mother is angry, but she's not angry at the child. She's angry at the hornets, right? And they say that's, that's what the Bible means when it talks about God being angry. God isn't angry with the people. He's angry with all the things that spoil the world. He's angry with the hornets that spoil this world. And when we talk about the wrath of God... He's angry against, this is William Young again, he's angry against everything that hurts us. But you see, that's airbrushing, because look what it says. In that day, I will become angry with them. God is angry at the people he's made who have rejected him. And I want to say to us, if we're going to understand Mark 15, we cannot airbrush out the fact that God becomes angry. Angry. Now this, let's, let's push this a little bit more. Um, we often talk about God being a judge. Uh, and he is. He's the judge. That's what the Bible says. God is the judge. But it struck me this week that judges don't normally get angry. You think about a human judge in a court. They're fairly impassive. They're fa- in fact, if they're engaged kind of emotionally in something, then they have to declare an interest. They can't pass judgment. And so our picture of judges tends to be that they're cold and uninvolved and detached and passing judgments. But according to the Bible, no, God is angry. In fact, the word is literally he burns with anger. Now, why? Why does God have this powerful reaction to human sin. Why does God have this reaction so much so that the Bible can say his heart is filled with pain? Why is God angry? It's because all sin is against God. God is not simply angry against the things that hurt us. Oh, you poor, poor little people. Look at all these nasty things hurting you. He's angry at us because we've offended him. We've rebelled against him. Every time I say and every time I choose to worship something other than him, I'm personally offending him. And so he is angry. He does not sit in heaven unmoved and go, do I look bothered? Am I bothered? I'm not bothered by human sin. And Katie needs to know that there's a God who gets angry with sin. Katie needs to know that. God is not unmoved by what's happened in London. He is angry at those who would seek to kill others. He's angry. He's the judge. His heart is filled with pain. He is the one who will rightly punish evil. Aren't you pleased about that? Don't you want a God who judges? He doesn't sit there going, oh, who cares? 
And I think we occasionally feel it. Occasionally we have a righteous sense of anger. Not very often. Occasionally we're rightly angry about something. That is what God feels towards human sin. Bill needs to know it too. And if Bill is here today, if, if you identify with Bill and you feel kind of like, oh, I feel really dirty, I feel really guilty, I want you to know something. Your sin really is that serious. It really does offend God. He really is rightly angry. So that, that's the first thing. Second thing is, God becomes angry. Now, if, if by this point you're thinking, man, this is really, really heavy. This, this is all part of how we understand why God will never forsake us, right? This is really good news. Um, God becomes angry. Uh, the second thing though, is that uh, they are then forsaken. Um, that is his response. I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will leave them on their own. They will become alone. That's interesting because when God made human beings, he said it's not good for man to be alone. To be alone is to be under God's punishment. To be alone, to be away from God, to be forsaken, to have no one to call on, no one to save you, that is God's punishment on sin. That's why solitary confinement is such a horrific punishment for someone. To endure being on your own drives you mad. Aloneness. Forsakenness. And the third thing then is that God hides his face. Um, this, is, this is how God's people were supposed to live, right? This is how we were created to live. Just listen to this. The, the priests, right, they would raise their hands over the people and they would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face towards you and show you peace. The Lord shine his face face upon you and be gracious to you. Isn't that beautiful? They're supposed to live in the shining beauty of God's face. But when they're wicked, when they turn away, when they sin, do you see? Now God hides his face. God's face is turned away. And then finally they're destroyed. And for God's people, what that would mean when this happens later on in the Bible is that they are handed over to enemies who destroy them. Now, it's pretty, it's pretty big stuff, right? And I don't want to, I want to show you what God is truly like. Please, at this point, if you're beginning to think, well, this sounds nasty, if God, God sounds a bit mean and nasty, please don't stop there. This is not mean and nasty. This is righteous and holy and good. And I'm going to show you why. Right, now we're getting to Mark 15, okay? Come to Mark 15. With all of that in mind. Here we go. Mark 15, verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think, come on. All of that stuff that we've seen, when God says, um, 
in that day I will become angry. Isn't it clear as the sky goes dark that in that moment it is God became angry. That's what's happening. God became angry. And you might say, of course God's angry. They're killing his son. Of course they're angry. But no, no, look. God became angry, but Jesus is the one who's forsaken. Not God became angry and they were forsaken, but God became angry and Jesus is forsaken. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Jesus, the precious Son of God. Jesus, the one who never, never lived his life away from his Father, who never turned away, who never sinned, who never rejected his Father. Suddenly, in this moment, Father, where are you? You've abandoned me. been interesting to watch through Mark's gospel how bit by bit Jesus has become increasingly alone as his friends fall away, as one of his closest friends betray him, as his closest disciple disowns him and now at the cross, even abandoned by his father. Alone. And some of the crowd think, well, perhaps Elijah's going to come. Elijah, there was this, this idea that Elijah would come and help those who were righteous, who were suffering. Surely Elijah will come and rescue him. Is Elijah going to come? Look what it says in verse 36. Someone ran, filled his sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Alone. Utterly alone. And Elijah didn't come. No one came. He's forsaken. Jesus, who only ever had lived under the shining brightness of his father's face, whose face, Jesus, the father's face, who was always turned towards his son, Jesus, who enjoyed that relationship, suddenly now the sky goes dark as the father hides his face. And then verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. God hid his face and Jesus was destroyed. I I, I don't know how to make this clearer. I don't know how to explain this more. That at this moment, what Deuteronomy 31, 17 says happens when people sin. At that moment, Jesus experienced it utterly and completely. It fell on him. Which has got to leave you asking the question, why? Why would Jesus experience that? Why would Jesus need to face that when he'd not done anything wrong? The answer is there in verse 38. Because as Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. As Jesus died, the barrier that stands between me and God, the big curtain in the temple, God took hold of it and he ripped it apart. And he said, no more hiding my face. No more darkness. No more forsakenness. No more anger. The curtain's been torn down. Because Jesus did this for us. 
This is, um, let me teach you, it may not be a new word. Um, the word the Bible uses for this um, in many translations is propitiation. This is propitiation. Propitiation means that God's anger is satisfied. It is paid. God's anger is dealt with as it falls on his son instead of me. So here it is. Jesus, the precious son of God, died to save us. Now, please don't get this wrong. I, I'm, I'm so nervous teaching this stuff because it's, it's so, this is the heart of what we believe. This is so important. P- please don't get this wrong. Please don't go away thinking, oh, there's this angry father in heaven. Nasty. Okay, here comes Jesus to save the day. Jesus, he's our hero. Jesus will be not, kind of satisfy the mean, nasty God in heaven. No, rubbish. Who sent Jesus? Who in his love sent Jesus? It was the Father, God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is God who is rightly angry, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with sin. And they say, what are we going to do? We're going to send Jesus. Jesus, you go and die and be the saviour of the world. It's because the Father loves you. It's because the Father wants to save you. It's because the Father does not want to hide his face from you. It's because the Father does not want to forsake you that he sent his Son. That's how much he loves you. Don't you ever think that God is some mean, nasty, cruel, vindictive God sitting in heaven. He's the God of love, such passionate love that he would send a son to die. And all this nonsense rubbish that we hear about God of, oh, he's nasty and mean. No, he's so full of love and so full of justice and right anger that they meet at the cross. And there you see it. So now I want you to know when God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He says this, I will never forsake you because I did forsake my son. I will never abandon you because at the cross I did abandon my son. He took the abandonment you deserve and I'll never abandon you. And if you think If you think that God would go through all that, that all those lengths to send his son, to watch his son die in agony on a cross, to then abandon you, there is no way. That is why when God says, never will I leave you, he really means it. And what Katie needs to know as she sees the pain and as she sees the struggle and as she feels The aloneness sometimes of this world. She needs to get her eyes to Jesus. Look to Jesus and say, no, God will never abandon me because he abandoned his son. And in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this struggle, he will not abandon me. And Bill, as he looks at his own heart and as he sees his sin, and let's forget Bill, you, as you look at your own heart and as you look at your own sin, and as if you wonder, could God really still love me? He knows what I'm like. He knows how much I failed. Could God really love me? The answer screamed from the cross is, yes! Yes, I love you. And not even your sin will cause God to abandon you. 
That's why Mark wrote his gospel. This is the good news. That Jesus died for you. This is the gospel that Mark wrote this down so that you would believe it. So that you could know it. So that you could find in Jesus a security and a hope like nothing that has ever been known. Not one person on that panel on Tuesday night knew for certain that they would go to heaven. Not one person. Because they didn't know if they'd done enough. I know for certain. And you can know for certain that you will not be forsaken. Because Jesus has done enough. He's done enough. That is why we need to get our eyes on Jesus, our confidence in Jesus. This is the Jesus we need to preach to our world. Never will I leave you, God says. Never will I forsake you. All because he forsook his son. Let's take a moment to pray. and uh, Perhaps you can identify with... You struggle with the brokenness you see around you or you see the brokenness within you. Why not bring those things? Be honest. Let's be honest with God. And I wonder as the curtain is torn in two, whether you can see, whether you can see Jesus did that for you so that you could know God. And perhaps even with the centurion in verse 39, you want to stand before Jesus today and say, Jesus... Surely you are the Son of God. Yes, you are. And I trust you. Let's pray together. Father, we... These words are are, are staggering. Um, That at that moment, in that moment at the cross, you abandoned your Son. You forsook your Son. You hid your face from your son, your, the, the very wrath of God, the anger that we deserve was placed on Jesus. He experienced and suffered that for us. Father, thank you that as he suffered and died, he did it for us. So that now as we trust him, there's no anger. Father, please help us to know this and to live this. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together and then we're going to um, eat bread and drink wine together and just remember what Jesus has done. Um, If this is true, and it is, this means that God is not angry with you. If you're trusting him, if you're a Christian here this afternoon, God is not angry with you. I think sometimes we feel like God is angry. I feel like God must be very... He's not angry. That's why Jesus came. You're his precious child. He may well discipline you. But not anger. Not like this. He doesn't do that because Jesus stood in our place. And we're going to sing and, um, and, and, and enjoy that together um, this afternoon. So why don't we stand together and let's respond by singing... Um, you. You plead my cause, you take my place, you you bear that cross. Let's stand and let's sing.